This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, you're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Kevin Young, poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine. As you may know, on this program, we invite poets to pick a poem from the magazine's archive to read and chat about along with a poem of their own that's been published in The New Yorker. Joining us today is Nick Flynn. The author of several poetry collections and memoirs, he's received the Erickson Institute Prize for Excellence in Mental Health Media, as well as awards and fellowships from Penn, the Guggenheim Foundation, and the Library of Congress. Welcome, Nick. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I saw also that you've been translated into 15 languages, is that right? Uh, yeah, not not the poems, but the prose. <laughs> the prose. Been, yes, one one book has been translated into fifteen languages. How exciting! That's yeah. amazing. I don't point out it's only one book, but yeah. <laughs> one book fifteen times. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so the poem you selected today is "Objectivity as Blanket" by Zoe Hitzig. Tell us what about this piece caught your attention as you're looking through our archives. Well, the archives, as you know, you have to sort of sort through them. They you don't have a whole list of poets that you know and then you sort of like remember a poem and see. You have to sort of actually sure, engage with it. Like yeah. each page comes up, there's 10 on each page. And my, my attention online is, is, is uh, uh, not huge. And so I got through 20 pages of that. <laughs> 20 pages? 20 pages. And you didn't I, just put in poem, I, I poets. To, you wanted to just look through and see the past. I didn't see the little search button. So okay. And I and actually didn't want to do that. After, a little, after quite a while, cause I, I realized on each page there'd be like 10 poets. And... I would know either them personally or know of their work pretty well of most of them on the pages. And occasionally there'd be a name that would come up that I didn't know. Right. And then after a while, I began to, you know, I read a lot of the poems. And then after a while, I began to be really interested in the poet I'd never heard of before. Yeah, sure. And I decided to go for that. Okay. All right. Shall we hear the poem? Sure. I'd love to, yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Objectivity as Blanket. Know the police... Hyenas on hearing five confessions, four false, and one too irresistible. Nor the mental health elephant tusked by the state. Nor the common sense stork twisting at the prosecutor's feet. Nor the one, the one juror, uneasy facing eleven pale sheep at bay all day, all night for conviction. Nor the governor, sir. Nor the common sense stork now in a knot. Nor the shots. Nor the claws unbending, nor the claws bending, nor, seeing his fitful approach, did one turn back to flip the window latch for the life form nearly breaking himself on glass. Nor the next governor, nor the state, carriage horses trotting ever steady blinders acute to the eye. Nor the widower how he could, how could he, puma in pull focus. Nor the defense counsel, not for lack of it, nor the stork. Is she breathing? Is there such a thing as breathing here, and does it mean? The polyester, the royal blue, the blanket on the bed of the mother of two. That was Objectivity as Blanket by Zoe Hitzig, 
which ran in the March 20th, 2017 issue of the magazine. Well, it's really great to hear you read it. I love all those nors. It's, it's the, the denial before the admission, I suppose. How did you hear those? Yeah, I mean, the, the negating a poem at the beginning, I thought was a really interesting strategy just to get me into it. And it just seemed to be willing to, like right from the beginning, to exist in this state of instability. And, you know, already with the first line having, you know, not being grammatically completely correct, perhaps. Uh, and just sort of allowing that sort of wild tumbling energy along with the negation and along with the stuttering too, nor the one, the one juror without even a comma. Like it very, it just doing a lot of things that are genuine to itself, I think. Yeah. Well, it's invested in language and the ways that we might mishear language or hear language differently. And I, I love that about it. But it's also, I think, interested in the kind of rhetoric, nor the governor, sir, this kind of old-fashioned rhetoric, but also a kind of um, rebuke uh, that happens in the poem, nor the state, carriage horses trotting ever steady blinders acute to the eye, this kind of idea of the defense counsel. Uh, it feels very political in a really smart way, uh, the politics of language, but also the politics of rhetoric and how we speak to each other or don't speak to each other. It did. It's it sort of, you know, I read it through like the first time when I encountered it. And I just sort of read it through right to the end in a way that I was just like, you know, I was just fully in it when I read it. I was fully right. in it. I like, there's something happening here. There is something political happening. There's some sort of like, like urgency to it that is never completely resolved. And I don't think it should be. It's, 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 uh, yet, yet there's things that keep returning the, mm -hmm. the, the legalese, the nor, the, uh, you know, the, not, not, nor the governor, sir, nor the next governor you know, nor the state. Like, everything is just like nothing's quite working and nothing is, is, is uh, uh, up to the task, whatever the task is. We don't know what the task is exactly, I well, don't think. Well, is the task uh, clarity that can't quite ever be achieved or is the task to be honest about uh, what matters, you know? And, and I get the feeling that the poet, as you said, hasn't, doesn't have to decide, you know? In, in some way, the poet's investigating the ways that we can't quite get at the thing, nor the police hyenas on hearing five confessions, four false and one too irresistible. I mean, that's a real danger, having the hyenas be your testifiers or, or believers of what turns out to be false or irresistible. And I love that distinction between false and irresistible, which, uh, you know, I've written about. Yes. So there's a kind of love <laughs> of falseness that she has, but also a love of the truth, I feel. And that the only true thing is this last line, the polyester, the royal blue, the blanket on the bed of the mother of two, which is a lovely rhyme. Yeah, which goes back to the title too, you know, objectivity is blanket, that it's, you know, it ends with the blanket. It begins with the blanket and then the middle is like trying to find its way to it. It does seem like there's something really important going on here. And it does feel like, you know, if it came out in 2017, we don't know when it was written, but, you know, it, it, it is a time of there are a lot of people being shot then. Uh, there's a lot of trials going on. The language that's in here is, is the things that were coming. And also there's this stork that keeps reappearing too. You know, right. the common sense stork twisting at the prosecutor's feet, then the stork again, nor the common sense stork now in a knot, now, nor the shots. There's another rhyme there. And then there's the one about... Uh, did, uh, nor seeing his fitful approach, that could have been the stork again, did one turn back to flip the window latch for the life form nearly breaking himself on glass. Yeah. Again, the stork, I possibly. 
yeah. a bird flying into a window, and then the, like it's just, this stork keeps coming. What is the stork? You know, what is the well, the stork? You know, traditionally, I suppose, is some a form of uh, bringing birth. life. Yeah, yeah bringing yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. But also for me, at the end, there's almost this Madonna, this fractured polyester Madonna, the, the mother draped in blue, as the Madonna was often depicted. That's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. There's that great uh, Della Francesco painting, Madonna del Parte, the, the Madonna's all in blue, and she's pulling her, her stomach is pushing her dress open with a slight slit that's sort of a, an erotic slit in her dress that she's pointing to into this thing. It's like, it reminds me of that at the end also. Huh. I thought the rhyme there, and you mentioned it throughout the poem, is interesting. It isn't quite a sonnet, is it, or is it? Oh, we haven't counted, have we? I think 13 lines, which means it's a sonnet. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to call it a sonnet? We're going well, to give it sonnet? It's a fractured sonnet, we'll call it. We'll call it it certainly has that feel <laughs> of uh, yeah. devotion. And it's a turn at the end. Suddenly the mother appearing at the end right. is like this This turn at the end. Is this such a thing as breathing here? And does it mean, you know, with a nice uh, M dash into what does it mean? Like, right, yeah, right. And then the mother appearing at the end. I, I mean, that was the thing, too, the, the mother of two at the end. Somehow that, I read it, and I was like, okay, that's a poem. That's, yeah. That's what I'm going to choose. Right. That's right. Yeah. I didn't, th- th- I didn't overthink this one. <laughs> well, and if it started there, which, you know, sometimes when you're st- starting out as a writer, mm-hmm. you, you're like, well, this doesn't, you know, it makes more sense to conjure from the thing that might have started me thinking about it, which is yeah. the mother. Yeah. Um, but there's something much more powerful about getting to it. and earning it and mm-hmm. finding your way yeah. to, let's call it objectivity, or to this mother. Mm-hmm. That's really wonderful. Another police. Hyenas on hearing five confessions. So the police of hyenas uh, at well, the beginning sounds like that, maybe. Yeah, I almost feel like there are police and then there are hyenas, but yeah. maybe maybe she's helping us think about them. And, or the mental health elephant tusked by the state. That's yeah. a really great line. Tusked is a verb. <laughs> How great. And, and the, the, the mental health system is an elephant. And like the police is hyenas. Like everything is sort of, so there's, there's a lot of animals in this. Well, there's, there's a like, kind of fairy tale quality. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the, there's hyenas, there's elephants, there's the puma. In the mm-hmm, end, there's, there's mm-hmm. the, the 11 pale sheep at bay, which is uh, the uh, jury. Yeah, there's that's whole, interesting. There's a whole trial going on. There's a, there's a state. It's sort of a representation of the state within it. Well, it has, I mean, it's not quite Animal Farm, but there's that wonderful fable quality, but also I think of transformation, which we find in sort of Ovid or or Mm -hmm. any really great myth. You feel this transformation from one thing to another, which I feel like poetry often does, right? It does that uh, before we sometimes get to it, and sometimes the poetry I think we both enjoy often does it on the page. You see the transformation in front of you. Yeah, that's one of the great you know, joys of poetry is that it is about transformation. It's like it, it allows and anything you look at in in the world, like you look at it long enough and it becomes like many different things. It, it keeps transforming to other things. And it seems like Zoe, who I know nothing about. I know nothing about Zoe Hitzig. I don't know. I assume it's a woman. I assume. I don't know. It could be very old. It could be very young. Uh, I don't know where Zoe Hitzig lives. I didn't, I intentionally did not read Zoe's biography. Yeah. By the time I encountered this poem, I was really like, I had this, you know, I'd give myself a, a rule. Yeah. I, I want to know as little as possible about the poet. Yeah. Just, just really just exist with this. Do you find when you write, thinking about your own work, do you give yourself rules? Uh, yeah, well, I think all, like, all art is about, like, somehow having parameters sure. and having constraints and having uh, the process of gathering 
together, like all whatever, you know, gathering everything together and then refining it and distilling Mm -hmm. it. And so that's a type of rule, I think. Well, going back to your first book, Some Ether, which I very much admire and where I first encountered your work, did you have rules in that book? I mean, it feels like there was, you could have told that story a lot of different ways, your story in some way, but there's a restraint in that book, let's say. Yeah. um, In the first book, uh, you know, uh, Some Ether, there's a great poet that was my editor for that uh, named Fred Marchant. He, he really got the book. He got what I was trying to do. And he also got, like, and he used this phrase that I often use when I'm teaching now, uh, writing, is that I have the certain material. To think of the material as almost like a three-dimensional object, like a, almost like a mountain, almost, or a sculpture. And, like, in these poems, in, in that first manuscript, he said, like, you're, you're going up the same path up the mountain. And what you need to do is you need to find different purchase on the material, like a different, which I used that word purchase, which I really loved, to find different ways up the mountain. And I, I did have different purchase already, but I didn't think they fit in this book. I, was, I, I thought it had to be more unified. And so that really allowed me to bring in all these other poems and take out some other ones that within like a week, Greerwolf took it. Like I just sort of, wow. I, I sort of substituted some that I thought were too wild. So it, it added like this wild energy, I think, to the book, if, if people see that. Um, and that was... Fred gave me permission to do that. Yeah. Think, you know, because I had these poems that seemed really out there. And I'm like, yeah, these are too weird like, to get in. And uh, Please put those in. I mean, that's the yeah, message we should tell the young poets. Yeah, 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 tell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the, the wilder the ones in, in yeah, there. Yeah, Don't exactly. just like think. I, I think that is a common thing. I remember my first book thinking, well, I have a poem about the grandfather who was, you know, pretty much my grandfather. And the grandfather dies. And then in the next poem, the grandfather's alive. They, they will never understand that. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, of course, that's what made the book is, oh, you know, these th- both can be true. You yeah, know, the atom is both wave yeah. and particle at yeah. the same time. Yeah, then, we, yeah, then you know, my, my first book was before quantum physics. So, you know, now we know they all exist at the same time, the same moment in space, you know, yeah, space yeah. and time. That, that, so... Yeah, but we didn't know that then. We had to invent that. Poets <laughs> we had, had to invent, invent that. that. Yeah, poets were there first. Yeah, we yeah. knew that. They had to discover that, and then the quantum physicists came in and realized we were onto something. <laughs> Wait a minute, the grandfather's alive and dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the cat in the box. <laughs> uh, Schrodinger's cat. Anyway, um, let's move on to your poem because I'd love to talk a little bit about it and then think about some of your newer work. Sure. So now in the June eighteenth, twenty eighteen issue. The New Yorker published your poem, The King of Fire, which we'll hear you read in a moment. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about the poem first? Anything listeners should know going in? The King of Fire, for one thing, is a, a, a tarot card that I got. Uh, not someone, I didn't have a reading, but they, this was a card that was sort of given to me and, it, and explained to me. And, I, and it was really interesting because elementally, this book is more about fire. Um, and as, a, as like the first book, Some Ether, um, it was more about water. It just that that's like sort of the elemental nature of it. So sort of, it's a very wet book. That one. This one is just <laughs> burning up in your hands because uh, there's some some things that echoes in the book. Some things sort of get echoed in the end here, like this yeah, okay. near the end about the fire. There was, okay, there was a fire when I was a kid. Oh, okay. All right. When I was well, a kid, there was a fire, and the book is it's... right now. I've been examining that fire for the last like three years. Our house caught fire. Wow. So okay. That, now, now you have to read it because uh, okay. I know if they're anything like me, they're dying to hear. <laughs> this is Nick Flynn reading his poem, "The King of Fire." The King of Fire. My first night without you, my wings fold back in in themselves. All those birds inside or released by your hands. 
Now I trace my fingers along my collarbone, trying to find where they live. I keep touching my scar. It feels like swallowing night, like flyers for a lost boy. What if it's true our bodies are not our own, but only become manifest like this poem when activated by another's touch? What if the thing activated is outlined roughly by the word body? This morning, my daughter stood before me naked and said her body was not her own. She's been sick for two days. Smiling, she seemed to like it, the feeling, that floating above. I worry it's a setup, a manifestation of the addict I've passed on through the blood, my talent for slipping into the bigger thing, a craving for it. Oh, to live without thoughts, no rats in our shoulders, only birds, and the willingness to let someone inside. What if these things we call our bodies are not singular or contained? What if they finally become irrelevant? After so much time trying to be grounded, to land on this earth, so strange to imagine we might simply pass by ourselves for a moment en route to somewhere else. What's on the other side? A nap? A parade? It works. Matchbox sparks, lightning bugs. I'm completely inside that boy who feels like he's inside me. And this, I want to know everything about the parade. Hmm. I love that parade at the end. And the questions, what's on the other side, a nap, a parade, it works. How, how are you thinking there? Let me think. So strange to imagine. I mean, it gets very, you know, more than most of my poems, I think. It gets very, uh, would that be metaphysical? or? I feel it. Uh, I feel that. Where I'm trying to sort of really reckon with something sort of larger and sort of mysterious. Yeah, what, is, what comes after death? But, but a lot of it is just my nature that line, after so much time trying to be grounded, mm-hmm. before that, that, that is how I felt. I felt like very much, I thought for, for many years that I was a, a water sign because I'm, I'm an Aquarius. But then I, it took me years to find out that's an air sign, <laughs> which explained a lot that I'm, I'm very ungrounded. Like I don't really, I, I often don't feel like I'm actually on the earth mm-hmm. in some essential way. Other people are very rooted and grounded. I'm just yeah. floating <laughs> often. And, and the daughter in the poem, is she rooted? Well, she's you know she's still young, so we're uh, I'm hoping for her, but I don't know what, I don't know what's better to be rooted or to be floating. I'm not really yeah, I'm not really yeah. judging one over the other. No, right. I, well, now you know I did want to be landed. I wanted to land at a certain point. But and, now you're an air sign, so you're... well now I'm accepting. I'm accepting who I am in some way, and I don't know what she is. I really don't know what she right, is. Right, but in, yeah. in the poem, what I love about her mm-hmm. this morning, my daughter stood before me naked and said her body was not her own, and then that great aside, she's been sick for two days. Smiling, <laughs> you know, well, just amazing. Uh, she seemed to like it, the feeling, that floating above. Yeah, yeah. That, that's when I recognized it seemed like she was doing something that I, I did, where you suddenly see yourself in your children. Mm-hmm. I don't always see that. She often is more like her mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't always see that. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. And it, and it, and it did worry me. I, I became, uh-oh. Like, I really liked as a kid when I wasn't really present, mm. when I wasn't really on this earth, which is what led me, I think, to addiction and to, uh, you know, to trying to find ways to uh, oblivion. So was addiction a, f- a way of getting further from that feeling or getting deeper into that feeling? Oh, no, to get, the, yeah, to, to sort of get further into it. Yeah, yeah. So it sort of just made sense. It was sort of the fuel that sort of like it didn't, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if I did want to be grounded. But at a certain point, I mean, I haven't, 
been you know used for a long time and so uh so so when i when i stopped you know using then then i felt like just sort of floating in the air yeah. and i was like whoa what are, you know it's like suddenly you look it's like you know it's like in the cartoons when the <laughs> run when you run off the cliff and then you look down and realize that you're floating in the air right that's then, when then you, you fall, fall. <laughs> then you fall. So, i mean that's what's wonderful in the first book speaking of which you know the the cartoon physics poems yeah, yeah um but this feels like it's coming the other way my first night without you my wings fold back in on themselves all those birds inside or released by your hands yeah and there is that kind of um i see it as more shelter in that beginning mm-hmm. you yeah. know the, when i have a poem about you know my son having his first sleepover, and I can't tell you how devastated you feel, like your kid just going away for one night. I mean, he'd been away from me, I'd been away from him, but there was something about this rite of passage. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's something about this rite of passage in the poem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the kids kids start growing, and they, a lot of this book, this book, and I have a prose book, most of my books have, uh, they're, they're, you know, brothers and sisters, or night and day, or something. The poetry Mm -hmm. has a prose equivalent. Sure. because I'm just working, you know, in the last five years, I've been working in the same material. Sometimes it ends up being poetry. So there's a fire in both books. Okay. The both books are an examination of this fire. So tell us more about the fire and then tell us more oh, about sure. the book. Uh, the fire was like... Uh, when you were younger. When I was younger, yeah. I was younger. I was uh, seven, six or seven. Wow. And our house caught fire. But the thing about it is is that it turned out later, my mother, the the... Her boyfriend at the time, who was sleeping over the night of the fire, uh, I looked him up many years later when I was in my mid-30s. And his take on it, the story had always been that raccoons had set our house on fire. We had a grill outside. We had a barbecue. The raccoons would come every night, and they knocked over the grill and set the house on fire. And that was the story for a long time. And then when I was 35, he said, raccoons didn't set your house on fire. Your mother did. That, And she said it to collect the insurance money. So that's his version of it, is that, and it's a, it's a very likely version. We did get money. We, the house is a real, uh, I, I won't curse on the podcast, but, you know, a rat hole, let's say. Uh, it was a raccoon hole. Yeah, a raccoon. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like a, it, it needed, you know, the guy, the boyfriend said all it needed was a match. I mean, that's all it wow. needed. So we got the money, we fixed the house, and I thought that was kind of great. I thought, like, that was, like, a clever of her. She got over. I see. And so I sort of, for, from the time I was 35 until... My daughter was the age I was. I thought that was really clever. And then my daughter turned seven, and I looked at her and I said, that's insane. Like, you can't set a house on fire with a kid in it. Like, I really didn't get it until I, which seems a little sociopathic to me, <laughs> that I wouldn't have gotten that, like, until no, it was I, my own child. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because <laughs> like, I'm around a lot of other kids. I mean, it's not like I'm, like, not around kids, but... But it, was, it brought it home for you. It really brought it home. And, we, you know, we go back to my hometown, and my house is still standing, which is remarkable because it's not a... Very still not a very good house. Yeah, it's not like what. This is the new house, the rebuilt house. No, well, it didn't get really. Just oh. part of it burned. Like okay. the, so, uh, you know, it's it's not like what you'd call a keeper. I mean, the house, but the people that buy that type of house that we lived in don't have a lot of means, and so they don't do much to it. So it just stays like it sure, is. Sure, so. sure. So this fire not only was you know changed in your past, but changed in your present. In, in oh yeah, it kept changing. Yeah, yeah, really changed, and and which I which is one of the things I you know both love and, and uh, terrifies me about being an artist is that the reevaluation of, of experience and how you go through things and you sort of, you, you come to like something that you can live with. I mean, in, in, in trauma theory, they call it a cover story. You know, you come with a story that allows you to go on and then 
you have to let go of that cover story and say, okay, this is actually what really happened. But I, the trouble is I really do feel at this moment that this, this might, we might be living a cover story right now, you and I. <laughs> we might be just making this up, you know? And then in 10 years, I'll be like, we thought that was the truth? <laughs> right, like, right. There's a bigger truth behind this right, truth, you right. know? I mean, th- this is scary to think, you know, in, yeah. in the broadest senses. I think this poem, too, I, I want to return to its craft because there's something about the way, I think this about many of your poems, but here especially, you're able to have this aside, you know? Uh, what if it's true our bodies are not our own? but only become manifest like this poem. Or when you say, by the word body, I worry it's a setup, a manifestation of the addict, and then the dot, 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 oh, to live without thoughts. There's this real wonderful use of ellipses and aside in the poem. Uh, Is that conscious? Is that how you're writing? Is that part of the prose peeking through? Is that all of you? I mean, it's what I admire in your work uh, across genres. You know, I had this thing. This was written in a... uh, a moment in the last few years, I gave up writing, uh, and in the in that time, you know, I, I wrote this poem and, and a whole book of other poems. But uh, I mean, this that this poem is included in, and by giving up writing, I just meant that I I, I wasn't consciously in my w- waking life, my conscious life, I wasn't just always in a book and always like write like everything was just sort of part of the book, which I'd done for like twenty years. Like everything, I don't know if you do this, but you're it began to feel like a type of psychosis. Like you're walking through and everything is just like, well, right in the book, this, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. And I, and I, I felt like I wasn't fully alive. It felt like, you're not like, like, okay, do I want to end my life with having a bunch of books but not really been alive? <laughs> it's like having a selfie stick everywhere Yeah, yeah, you yeah, go. yeah, yeah, in some ways. Like what's the, what was the difference? And so I was really trying not to, but then there'd be this like, I would get this, it wasn't, it was almost like a frenzy, like suddenly like a bunch of poems would come, like circumstances, conversation with somebody, like some sort of a back and forth exchange and something would happen. And I would suddenly, there'd be like a month run where I'd almost be like, like if you were an addict, you, you, you would have locked yourself in a hotel room for a month with a, you know, with an eight ball or something. But, and suddenly like this came, so this came out of that run that I had like yeah. two, what is it, 2008, so it was two falls ago, yeah, 2016. So a lot of it is a little bit mysterious to me. Yeah. Like, like it really, like the moves in it where I get from one thing to another, like I think it came out in like one piece, but one piece that was like a lot of things being jammed together and the ellipses allow you to do that, to, to bang things up against. But it also is like a meditation yeah. on this body, the idea of the body. You know, a lot of it came from, I'd had this sort of very strange experience where I went to a massage therapist and, and she asked me if I'd ever had my, my scar massaged, which is I have this enormous scar on my stomach, which is why I have no tattoos because I have just, I'm just a big scar. So I don't need a tattoo for that I got from a motorcycle accident, like when I was 18. Uh, you know, it's like a foot long, it's on my wow. belly. And she asked me, this, this sort of wonderful massage therapist asked me, like, if I, if I, she said, oh, well, you've gotten that massage. I was like, no, no one touches my scar. <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm just afraid I'm going to, like, <laughs> burst open. Yes, of course. Yeah, like, I'm afraid, like, like once, once was enough. It's a zipper. Yeah, it's a zipper. It's like, you know, your hands will just go in. Like, it, it's, I had very strange feelings about it. So she, she said, well, no, you have to. Like, that's, that was her specialty, it turned out. Wow. And so she did. So it's for, like, a year, um, I, I, would, I got the, you know, I didn't, I don't get many massages, but I had acupuncture and stuff. Like I had a few times after that. It would always be in the massage. It would just, it would be like psychedelic. Like what right. would happen? All this stuff, stories would be released. Like sure. memories, a trauma, like would get released from this thing. So this came out of that in some wow. way, like putting the hands on the body was like a big part. Like this was happening at that time. Sure. How it fits into it, it's like, 
you know, then I'm trying to ground myself by looking at my daughter and talking to her, and then I'm meditating on, you know, dying on the fire. So there's just a lot of things coming into it, you know. Well, and I think that people underestimate perhaps, or maybe they understand the way that poems live in the body mm. so much, and, and the breath is so integral yeah. to the poem, the line break as breath, that I think here to see it used so well uh, and to see that kind of thought, the metaphysics, but also the body part, I think is really mm-hmm. wonderful, and, and I appreciate how you've put it together, but also its frankness and its uh, ability to think. I, I totally can see how it would come out in this way, it's the yeah. the art of improvisation, but after long practice, I feel. Yeah, yeah. I don't like I said. I can't really remember exactly how the. I have other poems. I think I've done several poems in the past, which are really clearly collage poems, where you're taking different things and fitting them together. This was sort of a collage poem that was just in my body. Yeah. Like it didn't. I didn't actually collage it because I think it came out really like in a day. Sure, sure. And then I, you know, I, I worked on it and. and you know, somewhat. But I also, when I'm revising poems, I try not to revise the life out of them too much. Right. I, I try to keep the whatever little uh, resonant spark sort of got it going, even if it's a little wonky. Much like the poem that we read, the, the Zoe Hitzig poem, which feels like that too. It feels like that Zoe trusted that there was like, even if like in the stuttering and the the grammatical imperfections and the strange, you know, instability, that that was where the magic was, that that was where the energy was in the poem. It felt like the Zoe Hitzig poem had a lot of energy to it. it felt sure, like yes. It. So and I, I really try to, like, honor that. Well, it's about music. I mean, I come from a tradition yeah. where jazz is, of course, yeah. you know, it isn't about perfect. It's about uh, passion and mm-hmm. getting it more and more exact, yeah. which isn't about no. removing the fire or spark, as you said. Yeah, yeah. I... I I want to ask lastly about the new book, which we've hinted at. So the new book of poems is called I Will Destroy You. Is that correct? That is, yeah. That's the title. <laughs> so yeah. first of all, uh, I, I love your titles. Uh, I was making a list of them. Cap- the captain asked for a show of hands. The ticking is the bomb. And another bullshit night in Suck City, a great title by uh, all accounts. What brought you to that title and, and my feelings, too, the other great title, which we've talked yeah. about before personally, but t- tell me about I Will Destroy You. Again, it was, it was sort of uh, something someone said to me uh, in the past. Like earnestly? They, they were yeah, like, yeah, earnestly, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just sort of, I sort of took it in and I just felt like, wow, that, that, that sort of, that's really intense. Like it's an intense thing to be said, to, you know. It just sort of stayed with me. Like, like the, the title of My Feelings uh, you know, came from like a lot of things like uh, live inside me for a long time. They almost take like ten years to once the, once they hit me, they sink some into some deep place, subterranean, funky place, and then they rise up again ten years later and, and, and appear. So it was just something that had been with me for a while, and and it just felt like this was the time. And, and I actually didn't have a poem called "I Will Destroy You" uh, when I first submitted it to to Grey Wolf, and they you know they took it and then. In a subsequent revision, the poem appeared, uh, which I was happy about. It, it, is, it has a pop cultural uh, reference, that poem. It, it came from watching, uh, going to a theater in, in Brooklyn and t- with a friend and seeing uh, Terminator 2, <laughs> a re-release of Terminator 2. Wow. Which, uh, in the scene where the, the liquid metal guy goes to the mental hospital where mom is to go kill the mother. You yeah, know? And then yeah. He, he 
he's the floor behind the security guard. Oh then he rises God, up while the yes. security guard is getting his coffee. Right, right. And he right. rises up, and then they, the security guard looks and turns and looks at himself because the yes, liquid yes, metal yes. guy has assumed his form, and he looks very confused. He's looking at himself. And then the, the liquid metal guy just points to his face, and the guy just looks at his finger, and then his finger turns into a knife, yes, and it goes yes, through his it, eye. Yes, yes. And he kills him that way. So, and then he goes looking for mom. So, uh, terrifying. Yeah, and, and it's just that. Because the book has a lot of, both books have a lot of addiction in them, too. So, this is the other prose book, uh, Stay, is that right? Or is there uh, another prose book? There's another prose book, too. Yeah. <laughs> is it coming? Or is it, uh, or That's is what it I'm going to work on computer? tomorrow. I'm going to a residency tomorrow. No, and it's all like, uh, yeah, that, that comes from more from stories when my daughter turns seven and telling. I don't know about you, but with your kids, but I start. I started when my daughter turned seven. I began telling her stories about when I was seven, and it, that was sort of became. I didn't realize that was such a formative moment for me. Like yeah. being seven was like this sort of when kind of it all came together for me, and I did all these like kind of strange. And the stories got stranger and stranger. So this the book is an examination of that. This uh, is the prose, the prose, prose book, the new prose book. How yeah. interesting! Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing it. And I love that you are saying that these books are siblings to each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's almost always one. For me, it feels like distant cousins, you know, the prose. Like, it, it's a release from thinking mm-hmm. about the... When you write of, your prose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, of course, th- these things are always kind of fractured autobiography somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's so wonderful. Um, we look forward to all of the books that you have coming out and that you are working on. Um, thanks so much for talking with us, Kevin, Nick. Kevin, it's great, yeah. The King of Fire by Nick Flynn, as well as Zoe Hitzig's poem, Objectivity as Blanket, can be found on NewYorker.com. Zoe Hitzig's work has also appeared in the London Review of Books, the New Statesman, Boston Review, and the Penn Poetry Series. Nick Flynn's latest poetry collection is My Feelings. He has two new books, Stay and I Will Destroy You, forthcoming in 2019. You may subscribe to this podcast, The Fiction Podcast, The Writer's Voice Podcast, and The Politics and More Podcast by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. You can hear more poetry read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker app, available from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Corner by Christian Scott Atunde Ajua, courtesy of Stretch Music and Rope-A-Dope. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com with help from Hannah Eisenman. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.